seated. And good morning again, uh, church. Uh, again, it is uh, a blessing to, to be here this this morning, uh, this first this first Sunday, uh, the Christmas season, and this final Sunday of 2021. Again, small uh, small remnant here this morning, but it's fun kind of looking around and and seeing some of the the college students and some of the old faces that are young adults and and other family who are who are here with us this morning. Uh, however much I, I love and, and uh, miss being with, with my family, uh, it is, it's an honor uh, to, to be here this Christmas Sunday and, and to, uh, to preach uh, my first Christmas Sunday sermon. The way I grew up, we weren't even allowed to talk about Christmas all that much around this time of year, and I always hated that. Uh, so it, it's exciting to, to be here and, and, and to be doing that. Uh, it's good to be with my, my church family on, on this, this Christmas. Uh, having said that, I do need to prepare you that this may be one of the more unorthodox uh, Christmas sermons uh, you've, you've ever heard. I had a, a game plan going into this week. Uh, we were going to focus, as we just heard from Malachi, on Simeon and Anna and all the awesome, nice things said about Jesus. And we're still going to do that, but we're going to do that next week. Uh, but this morning, our Christmas message is going to revolve around three ancient Jewish birth ceremonies just like we were all expecting and, and hoping for. So, so Merry Christmas. Uh, that's, that's what we're going to study this morning. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to give fairly deep theological consideration to circumcision and a woman's purification after, after birth and the redemption of the firstborn son. Again, all of the things you expected to, to, to gather uh, this morning and, and study. Uh, but, re- but really, my, my study this week, uh, as it sometimes does, uh, went a very different direction, and that's okay, and, and I hope that the Holy Spirit has, has a word for, for God's people this morning. So put on the, the thinking caps. This is going to be one of the, I don't think it's going to be too long. I've already gotten all the comments. Keep it short this morning. We want to go home. I get it, uh, but I don't think it's going to be too long, but, but uh, put the thinking caps on. This could be one of those meat and potatoes sermons, and go ahead and open your Bibles uh, or your Bible apps to Luke chapter 2, and again, the plan is we're going to limit ourselves this morning to verses 21 to 24, which we've read twice so far. Uh, We're going to be in verses 25 to 40 next week, which uh, will be the the stories of Simeon and and Anna. And then we'll be in verses 41 to 52, two weeks after that. And so all three of these weeks uh, around this Christmas time will be in in Luke 2, and we'll be reflecting especially upon the humanity uh, of Jesus and and how we might understand that. So let's read this uh, again for for the third time this morning and then begin to unpack it. Uh, starting in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So these four verses are probably the most overlooked verses in any of the birth narratives and any of the Gospels that, that we look at uh, around the, this time of Christmas, besides maybe some of the most obscure verses in the, uh, the genealogy of, of Matthew. And in this text, we read about, it's, it's hard to decipher at first, but we're, we're going to read, we're going to look at three ancient Jewish ceremonies related to the birth of a child. 
And one of these ceremonies applies to all Jewish children that were born. Another applies to male children only. And another applies only to, to firstborn uh, male, male children. But because Jesus is a firstborn male child in a devout Jewish family, all three of these ceremonies apply at his time of birth. And so our goal this morning is going to be to, to work through some of the basics of these three ceremonies. I will be honest and say I think Luke presents them in a very confusing way. So we're going to kind of unpack the way Luke convolutes them and, and get a grip of what the three different ceremonies are. And then we're going to reflect more theologically, again, on what they teach us, what they show us, what they demonstrate to us about the humanity of Jesus and, and how we, uh, as Christians, relate to this baby boy uh, in the temple. So the first ceremony in verse 21 is, is the one most familiar to you, and it is, it's the rite of, of circumcision. Uh, every Jewish baby boy, regardless of the birth order, so this is male only, but it is any, anywhere in the birth order, uh, all of those Jewish baby boys were commanded to be circumcised. And you know that this is, was probably the most central practice of the Old Testament people of God. This was the most fundamental sign of God's covenant with his people, dating all the way back to, to the days of, of Abraham. A Jewish baby boy like Jesus was supposed to be circumcised on, on the eighth day. That's all the way back in Genesis 17. And this was such a sacred task that as the law developed, they were allowed to carry out this task if the eighth day fell on a Sabbath day. So this was one of the things they were allowed to do, one of the, the, work, the works they were allowed to do if, if it needed to be done on a Sabbath day. So when Christians like us think about circumcision, uh, our minds often go to like the first century Christian arguments about whether circumcision is good or bad or whether they should be doing it. And that's, that's okay because there's a lot of conversation about that in the New Testament. And if our minds don't go there, maybe more fruitfully, they, they go to the way that the practice of circumcision uh, under the Old Covenant connects to the practice of, of baptism uh, under, under the New Covenant. And in four weeks, uh, so after these Christmas things, uh, these Christmas sermons, in four weeks we're going to start a sermon series on the theology of baptism. And, and we're going to explore that very first week this, this very connection, the way that the practice of circumcision under the Old Covenant connects in a variety of ways to the practice of, of baptism for the church under, under the New Covenant. But all that is kind of more in the future, have it on your mind. But what I want you to, to note for now in this passage is simply that Jesus himself, as a, as a Jewish baby boy born to a pious family, was circumcised in accordance with the law, that he went through the, this practice as all of the other babies in, the, in this time did in, in the family of God. He was born into this type of family, and Joseph and Mary were really the ones that were being obedient to the Torah by, by putting Jesus uh, through this practice. And at his circumcision on the eighth day, Jesus enters into a covenant with the God of Israel and also with, with the people of Israel. So that's the first little bit here on circumcision. That should be a little bit more, more familiar to you. Now, the second ceremony is quite a bit more foreign to us. Uh, and again, this is where it gets a little bit convoluted, even as, as Luke uh, presents it. And we can call this the, the purification uh, after childbirth or the purification of, of the mother. And when we look at verses 22 to 24 in, in Luke 2, uh, the rest of that, that scene, it's really a combination of this ancient ceremony and the, the third ancient ceremony we're going to look at called the redemption of the firstborn. But again, the way Luke presents them, they're, they're sort of uh, intertwined. 
So this sounds blasphemous, but just ignore Luke for now. (laughs) Just kind of focus on the screen, listen to the descriptions. We're going back to the Old Testament. Ignore Luke, and then once you've got a a feel for him, you can kind of see the way that he uh, puts puts them back together. So uh, the law of Moses uh, taught that a Jewish woman, like Mary, who had given birth to a baby boy, was ceremonially, I cannot say that word, ceremonially, she was ceremonially, Leanne is shaking her head, ceremonially unclean for 40 days. And among other restrictions, uh, that means that she could not enter the temple or share in any other religious ceremonies for that period of of 40 days. And you can read about this uh, on your own time uh, in Leviticus 12, because I know that's what you're going to go and and do on your own time, is read Leviticus chapter 12. But at the end of a a woman's 40 days, uh, to to be purified at the end of that period, she had to bring, and this goes back to the offering, she had to bring a one-year-old lamb, a young lamb that was very valuable, and she had to bring either a young pigeon or a dove as a, as a sin, offering, uh, sin offering. So so the burnt offering was the one-year-old lamb, and the sin offering was this young pigeon or, or dove. Now, uh, a, a one-year-old lamb in particular was really expensive. That, that was a really high price to have to pay at this time of purification. And, and so what we see uh, the, the, the law accounting for is that there would be women who, who give birth to a child who are unable to, to pay that price of a sacrifice. Uh, of, a, of a lamb and a, a little bird. And so the law taught, as we saw during the communion, the law taught this idea of the offering of the poor. And if a woman needed to, based on her family's income, her family's ability to pay the sacrifice, she could give two little birds, two turtle doves, that's where that comes from. She could give two turtle doves instead of one turtle dove and, and one lamb. And it's really not surprising, again, there's a lot of details here, let's zoom out a little bit, it's really not surprising that, that Luke is the only one to, to include this detail in his gospel because the idea of an upside-down kingdom is, is very, uh, very rampant throughout the gospel of Luke. Luke is the New Testament author who goes out of his way to uplift the poor. He doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit. He just says, blessed are the poor. Leaves it at that. So Luke goes out of his way to uplift women. He goes out of his way to uplift the poor, to uplift the, the downtrodden. And so it's really not a surprise that Luke, by including this detail, is able to emphasize the way that Mary, in particular, was a, a, a poor Jewish woman who was unable to, to pay this, this sacrifice, the full sacrifice of a lamb and a, a young bird. Uh, okay, let's move on uh, to the third ceremony, which is uh, called the, the Redemption of the Firstborn Son. And Luke references this ceremony at the end of verse 22, and then in that parentheses in, in verse 23, he's, he's talking about this ceremony as well. Uh, I'll read that for you, just the relevant part. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That's one piece of this ceremony. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Now this ceremony dates all the way back in its most basic form to the Passover story in the book of of Exodus. In the Passover story, God lays a claim on the life of every firstborn Jewish boy. Uh, In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me, set aside for me, make holy to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. 
So that basic Passover idea of, of the firstborn uh, son of the animal or of the humans belonging to God, that idea developed over time. It, it kind of tweaked and changed over time because it was going to be fairly impractical to literally give every firstborn son back to God. These families needed their firstborn children. And so this I, I idea developed a little bit into a ceremony called the redemption of the firstborn son. And an early form of this ceremony is, is already at play still in the Torah in Numbers chapter 18, verse, verse 16. And so basically this is, this is the ceremony. If you're lost, focus on this part here. This is the ceremony. At a month old, the firstborn son in a family of Israel had to be presented to God, had to be still consecrated to God, dedicated to God. God, here is our firstborn son. I'm giving this son to you. Looking at Troy over there. You didn't have to go through this. Uh, he was dedicated to God, presented to God. But then that family could redeem, or they, they could buy back that firstborn son from God at the price of five shekels. And so at the price of five shekels, which is about a month, uh, a month of pay, parents could essentially purchase back their son from God. It's a really interesting and weird tradition. You're probably maybe hearing for the first time. But this is how this idea over the course of the Old Testament d developed uh, as, it come, as it applied to the firstborn uh, sons. Uh, so already a little bit lost and confused potentially, but I want to add a couple more wrinkles here even to this uh, to this ceremony, and then we'll, we'll start applying all of this. Uh, first off, Luke, uh, in chapter 2, does not mention this price at all of five shekels. There's, there's no mention of there being uh, an actual redemption price for baby Jesus. It mentions the two pigeons, but again, that's, this is where Luke kind of messes it up a little bit. The two pigeons is for the other ceremony, the, the, the second ceremony we looked at for Mary's purification. So there's no mention in the text, at least, that that Mary and, and Joseph actually bought back uh, Jesus from, from God. And the second thing is that the redemption of the firstborn son did not actually have to take place at the Jerusalem temple. This was not a requirement to make this big trek up to the big temple and go to the big priests and say, God, we're, here's our son, we dedicate him to you, and now we're going to buy him back from you. This could be done really anywhere. And so a lot of commentators, when they look at this, they get really confused, as I was, and as you probably are, by what Luke is really getting at here. Because it's pretty clear from the Old Testament what the actual ceremonies were, what the actual regulations were, but it doesn't really match with the way that, that Luke ends up uh, organizing or assembling them in, in, in our main text for this morning. And, and some people suggest, well, Luke was a Greek. He didn't really understand what he was talking about. And maybe that's the case, um, but I, I tend to think it's, it's something else going on. And I think it's that Luke had his own, uh, let's say, theological purposes for uh, presenting this information, presenting these ceremonies in the way that he did. And that shouldn't surprise us because, again, Luke reorganizes a lot of the stories of Jesus to make particular points about the, the poor or about this or this or that. And so I think Luke is less concerned as a Greek, probably writing to mostly Greek, he's less concerned about did I get the details right on the purification of Mary versus the redemption of Jesus and how all of those ceremonies might fit together? I think he's more concerned, thankfully for us this morning, of, of what these ceremonies might actually have to teach us about Jesus, what these ceremonies uh, reveal to us theologically uh, about who this baby Jesus is and, and what's involved in, in his humanity. 
And one of the, we're going to look at three. This is the first one that I think is right here in Luke. Uh, and it's pretty clear if we zoom out throughout these first two chapters of Luke that one of his theological purposes, the first one I want us to look at, one of his theological purposes is to draw a comparison between Mother Mary and her baby son Jesus, to draw a comparison between this story and the story we know from 1 Samuel of Mother Hannah and her baby boy Samuel. And so, for example, if we look at these stories and, and draw parallels, Mary's song that we very regularly sing at Lafayette, the Magnificat, it's really intricately connected to Hannah's song that she sings back at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Uh, it's either in chapter 1 or 2. If you go back and read Hannah's song and you read Mary's song, you go, oh, Mary knew Hannah's song. And, and Luke is, Mary's probably singing that song as Hannah sung it. But Luke is very much wanting you to, to read Mary's song in conversation with Hannah's song. So that's one comparison we see. But also just think about their unorthodox birth experiences. So Hannah was a, a, a barren woman who was trying to have a child and then had kind of given up and then is eventually given a child. Mary is not trying to have a child at all, and yet she's expecting. And so her story is, is kind of a reversal of, of Hannah's story. And then as we look at the baby boy Samuel and much of his subsequent life and much of his subsequent ministry, there's a lot of different ways that he foreshadows the eventual life and, and the ministry of, of Jesus. And so I, I think it's pretty clear, even from other parts of Luke, that he's trying to draw a comparison. Uh, as, as people read this, he's trying to draw a comparison between the story of Jesus and Mary and, and the story of Samuel and his mother, Hannah. And so I think when we look at these ceremonies, it's another instance of Luke doing that. And he's kind of putting them into this conglomeration. And it's not exactly clear what he's saying at certain points. But he's trying to help the people draw a, a, compar a comparison or a parallel between these two stories. Because if you remember that first Samuel story, Hannah goes up to the temple, and she presents baby Samuel to the priest, and she dedicates Samuel to the priest. And in fact, Hannah does not redeem Samuel. She does not buy back Samuel. She simply presents Samuel to the priest, and she dedicates his entire life to the service of God. She leaves baby Samuel at, at the temple. And so I think Luke is wanting us to read this story of Mary and Jesus in those terms, we see in these weird details, we see Mary going up to the temple, going up to the house of the Lord to present her baby boy Jesus, who was born in this miraculous way. She's presenting him and she's dedicating her baby son Jesus back to God. But one of the interesting things is, is that we don't actually think that, or we say that differently, it doesn't appear that, uh, again, that Hannah redeemed Samuel. He stayed there, but baby Jesus goes home with Mary. It seems like in some way it's not mentioned, but that they did pay that redemption price, that they paid the five shekels, or in some way were able to, to redeem Jesus, to buy baby Jesus back from the temple, so to speak, to buy him back from God, and he was able to go home with his, his, his mother and his, his father. So again, I've thrown a lot at you. We're going we're gonna to calm down here in a second. Um, but these three ceremonies, there's, there's a lot we can look at the backdrops and, and the different regulations and the way those may or may not be unfolding here. There's a lot of different theological things I think Luke is trying to do. But the first one here is he's trying to draw a parallel between the story of Hannah and, and Samuel and the story of Mary and Jesus. And I think that's, that's a really ripe and, and rich comparison for us. 
So I'm going to hit on, on two more theological truths uh, rooted in these three ancient Jewish birth ceremonies, and then, and then we will uh, wrap up. And I hope these will help us uh, to, to shine some light on the incarnation of, of Jesus. The first theological truth uh, rooted in all three of these ceremonies regards the, the sanctity of human life, that human life has value, whether it's a baby or an old person, that, that God regards human life as, as sacred. These ceremonies, put the details to the side for, for a little bit, but these ceremonies reveal to us that God cares about human life. They may seem strange, they may seem convoluted, but they share this understanding that human life is a gift from God to be, to be valued and to be cherished. And so with circumcision, male children are welcomed into the, the covenant family before they could possibly do anything to earn it. God enters into a relationship with them. He bestows all the blessings of the covenant upon them, and in doing so, he places value on them. He says, I want to be in a relationship with you. I, I value you. Now, that should sound a little bit offensive to you. Uh, it needs to sound a little bit offensive to you, because female babies... <laughs> were not immediately welcomed into the family of God. They were not immediately given all these uh, covenantal uh, blessings that, that the baby boys were given. But I, again, I want you to be offended by that because it will help us see in a few weeks just how scandalous it was that the later Christian practice of, of baptism was uh, open. It was available. It was e- equal access to women and men alike. And so these first century people would have connected baptism to circumcision, a practice limited just to baby boys, and then here baptism comes along and, and all people, men and women, Jew and Greek, slave and free, are, are being invited to be baptized in the family of God and, and, and to take on the value that comes from, from belonging to, to the family of God. And so at the heart of circumcision is this belief that this baby boy matters, that God places a value on, on this, this baby boy. And in the next, uh, the next ceremony, the purification after childbirth, that should also be fairly offensive to us because there's wrapped up in that uh, uh, you know, some interesting and, and somewhat antiquated ideas about unclean, uh, uncleanliness and, and those kind of things. But it also reveals to us that, that birthing a child was not something that women in this time just did and they just moved on from, that birthing a child was a significant event and this purification happened for women and for, for men, or for, for the babies that were male or female. All women, after every birth, had to go through this, and it sort of set aside this, this period of time, this 40 days, or if they had a baby girl, 80 days, this period of time was set aside to, to recognize that something significant has, has just happened. A baby boy, a baby girl has entered the world, and this ceremony applied across the board. And again, I think it reveals how seriously the Jewish community took, took birth. And then finally, the, the, perhaps the most easy to, to see the sanctity of human life, uh, we see that in the redemption of the firstborn ceremony. Because of the Passover story, the Israelites knew how tragic it was to lose the life of a firstborn son. They witnessed the Egyptians losing the lives of their firstborn sons during the 10th plague, and so, and God laying a claim on the life of the firstborn, God was reminding his people that their firstborn sons and then all of their subsequent children were gifts from God to be stewarded well and to be taken seriously. So all children, male or female, firstborn or later in the birth order, 
they were all gifts from God, and the people of God had certain responsibilities to, to care for this, this valuable human life. And I think all of those ceremonies have wrapped up in them this, this common thread, this common assumption that God cares about, about human life. And then the final thing I'll just, I'll just tack on to that is, is that the incarnation story itself teaches us that, that God cares about human life. In God taking on flesh, in God in the flesh being circumcised, and his mother being purified, and, and going through these different ceremonies, we see the way that, that God values our humanity, the way that God was willing to enter into our, our humanity and to participate in it, and in doing so, we see the way that, that God values the sanctity of life. And, and I don't have like some political point on one end of the spectrum or whatever to, to make here necessarily, but I just think you can't read these opening chapters of, of Luke and not walk away with this understanding that human life is, is precious in the sight of God and it is not to be, to be taken lightly, whether that's a baby boy, whether that's a baby girl, or whether that's an, an old person for that, for that matter. And then finally, the last theological lesson I just want to draw more quickly here, is not the value of humanity, but it is the, the redemption of humanity. And here I have in mind that, that third ceremony, that redemption of the, the firstborn son, uh, in which, again, parents had to, to, to redeem, they had to buy back their firstborn son from God. So flip quickly, or it'll be on the screen, uh, to Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 4 to 7. I, I find this passage very interesting uh, in conversation with, with what we read about in the Old Testament about the redemption of the firstborn. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Catch that language. To redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons... God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but are God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. So Jesus was, of course, born of a woman. That's the main thing we focus on at, at this time of Christmas. He was born of Mary. But as Paul says here, he was very clearly born under the law. And that's what I hope you've seen from going through the details of, of these ceremonies. He was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the law. His mother was purified on the 40th day in accordance with the law. And he himself was presented to God and then he was redeemed back from God in accordance with the law. But why does this passage say that, that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What, what was God trying to accomplish through that? Well, again, notice the language in verse 5. He did this. He sent a baby son to be born of woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption <laughs> to sonship. Because Jesus was born under the law, because he and his pious family fulfilled all of these obligations of the, the Torah from a very early age, before Jesus even had much consciousness, Jesus was put in a position to redeem the rest of us from being under the law. He was put in a position to set us free so that we didn't have to go through all that, so that we could be adopted as sons and adopted as, as heirs of God. And so instead of male children having to be circumcised, 
men and women alike, are now invited into the family of God through baptism to be adopted as sons. That language is not supposed to be offensive. It's supposed to be radical. Men and women alike, through baptism, are adopted as sons. They have equal access to the covenant of God. And instead of mothers, mothers, can I get an amen? Instead of mothers having to go through these birth purification rituals on on day 40, men and women alike are simply purified as they are born again, as God's spirit enters into them. And instead of firstborn sons having to be redeemed back from God, the Christmas story is all about the firstborn son of God redeeming each and every single one of us. And so as Paul puts it in verse 7, you are no longer a slave through the work of Jesus. You are no longer a slave to the law, but are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And so my hope for this morning, despite the sweat, despite the sleepiness, despite the small crowd, my hope for this morning is that even in the most intricate, intimate, weird details of this Christmas story, that, that we can see that in, sin, in God sending us his, his son, in God sending us his child, we are all made children of God. And that's one of the things that runs through the Christmas story, no matter what angle we look at it from. In God sending us his own child, God adopts each and every one of us as his children. That baby boy being redeemed in the temple in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, becomes the redeemer of us all. Let's think about that redeemer as we continue. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ sermon podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to lessons given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ.